Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today is quite the day in virtual legality. If you haven't been following any of the news, or if you just fell asleep long enough to miss our early morning video in which we said Epic declares war, we didn't know the half of it. At that point in time, we said that Epic had declared war because they were putting Fortnite in-app purchases on the Apple App Store and on the Google Play Store with a button that looks like this that says, yeah, you could pay Apple $10, but you get the same amount if you pay us $8. And we did a video on it. I highly recommend checking it out. It's about a half hour long where we talk about the difficulties with that approach. The predominant one of which is that the App Store guidelines for developers says you can't do that. If you want to unlock features or functionality within your app, including by sales of in-game currencies, you must use in-app purchase. And we talk about it more fulsomely in that video, but this isn't in-app purchase as Apple intends it to mean in that guideline document. It says apps may not use their own mechanisms to unlock content or functionality. And more to the point here, uh, 3.13b says you must not directly or indirectly target iOS users to use a purchasing method other than in-app purchase. And your general communications about other purchasing methods must not discourage the use of in-app purchase. So all of this language where you say, hey, you're spending way too much on fees in the Apple App Store and you shouldn't do that. You should just give us money directly. Well, Apple was never likely to be terribly happy about that. And because they were never likely to be terribly happy about that, in that video, one of the things we say could have happened was that Apple could kick Fortnite off the store. Because once this is put in place, if Apple does nothing... The strong expectation would be that Apple's just hosting the app and not making a dime off the fact that they're hosting that app and that it's available on their platform. And Epic is collecting every dollar of what they are otherwise earning on those in-app purchases. So when that happened, I said, hey, maybe that'll occur. Maybe Apple will kick Fortnite off the store. And lo and behold, at 2.59 p.m. Eastern, not even two hours ago as I am taping this video, Apple kicked Fortnite, one of the biggest earners in the world, off the App Store. And I started to get ready for a sequel to Virtual Legality, which I was going to call Apple Strikes Back to go with the It's a War theme on the Epic side of things. And Apple put out a release that said, Today, Epic Games took the unfortunate step of violating the App Store guidelines that are applied equally to every developer and designed to keep the store safe for our users. As a result, their Fortnite app has been removed from the store. Epic enabled a feature in its app which was not reviewed or approved by Apple, and they did so with the express intent of violating the App Store guidelines regarding in-app payments that apply to every developer who sells digital goods or services. Epic has had apps on the App Store for a decade and have benefited from the App Store ecosystem, including its tools, testing, and distribution that Apple provides to all developers. Epic agreed to the App Store terms and guidelines freely, and we were glad that they've built such a successful business on the App Store. The fact that their business interests now lead them to push for a special arrangement does not change the fact that these guidelines create a level playing field for all developers and make the store safe for all users. So Apple comes out and says, hey, look, we have rules. You are deliberately running afoul of them, essentially to try to get a rise out of us and a rise we will give you. We will pull your game off the store. And I thought, hey, that's a good idea for a sequel episode. Hey, I didn't expect all this to happen in one day, but we can get it done in virtual legality. But that was definitely not all. Because immediately after that, literally minutes after this all happened, Epic Games filed legal papers in response to Apple. And as I say in this tweet, holy crap, Epic baited them deliberately for this outcome. Epic put in these moves, did these discounts, actually programmed these buttons in, had press releases, had all these materials made available to people that would be interested in this kind of thing deliberately to attack Apple. And if you go and you check out that earlier video, you will see all of the ways in which Tim Sweeney in his Twitter and elsewhere, the CEO of Epic, was attacking Apple for the past couple of months. So this was actually percolating, although even me in that video couldn't have predicted that they would be ready to file a federal antitrust action, which we will evaluate as part of this video, minutes after Apple took the action to take Fortnite off the store. So with that as the background, I had a number of people tweet me, ask me, direct message me, you gotta cover this. I have Louis Proctor, who's given us some good ideas for virtual legality, tweeting me the Breaking Bad scene where Jesse is like, oh my God, mom and dad are fighting and says, this must be what Google is like because they don't want to make any mistakes now with Google Play because maybe Epic has a lawsuit ready to go for them as well. 
I said I quietly scrapped my Apple Strikes Back thumbnail in favor of Unreal. All hell has broken loose. I, of course, went with Admiral Akbar, and it's a trap because that's exactly what Epic has done in this particular context. But we have to evaluate what was just filed as a federal case, a federal lawsuit against Apple Inc. by Epic Games Inc. for what amounts to antitrust violations. Now, before we get started, there's going to be a lot of background. This is going to be a pretty deep dive. We're going to try to take 65 pages of lawsuit and shrink it down into something manageable, something bite-sized. The thrust of this argument is that Apple is a monopolist over the iOS distribution of apps. And you might look at that and say, yeah, of course they are, Rick. And I might say exactly the same. In fact, you probably hear me say exactly the same as we discuss this lawsuit. But what the major question will be as part of this lawsuit is when Epic says Apple is a monopolist distributor of Apple apps, that they control the iOS operating system, the ecosystem on which all of their platforms rely, is that a sufficiently separate market that you can actually be a monopolist in that? We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but I have my doubts there. Epic wants to push this because they frankly want to save money when they're selling things on the App Store. And so they were ready to file a very, very, very long complaint against Apple. And they start out with a little rhetorical flourish. We've talked about lawsuits in the past in virtual legality. I always hate these rhetorical flourishes. They are unnecessary. You don't need to do all of this extra novelization as part of your lawsuit. But they do that because journalists they knew would pick this up. Folks like virtual legality would pick this up. And so they start out with, in 1984, the fledgling Apple computer company released the Macintosh, the first mass market consumer-friendly home computer. The product launch was announced with a breathtaking advertisement evoking George Orwell's 1984 that cast Apple as a beneficial, revolutionary force breaking IBM's monopoly over the computing technology market. Apple's founder Steve Jobs introduced the first showing of the 1984 advertisement by explaining, It appears IBM wants it all. Apple is perceived to be the only hope to offer IBM a run for its money. Will Big Blue dominate the entire computer industry? The entire information age? Was George Orwell right about 1984? Fast forward to 2020 and Apple has become what it once railed against. The behemoth seeking to control markets, block competition, and stifle innovation. Apple is bigger, more powerful, more entrenched, and more pernicious than the monopolists of yesteryear. At a market cap of nearly $2 trillion, Apple's size and reach far exceeds that of any technology monopolist in history. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that I object to as these first two paragraphs, but let's start out with the rhetorical premise that yes, Macintosh through Apple came out in 1984 and broke into the personal computing market by saying, IBM's too big. We're going to break up their control. Do you know how they did it? They did it with a good product. They did it by selling something and they disrupted the industry. Apple's been disrupting the industry for their entire history. And so to use that as your marketing point, and believe me, it is a marketing point because Fortnite was actually ready as they filed this federal lawsuit to put videos in their game to speak to the court of public opinion with a hashtag free Fortnite and a video that was a spoof, a satire of the famous 1984 Macintosh commercial. And it ended with Epic Games has defied the App Store monopoly. In retaliation, Apple is blocking Fortnite from a billion devices. Join the fight to stop 2020 from becoming 1984. Now, I've got other issues with 2020, as I suspect that you have. And I have a lot of issues that might actually cause 2020 to be 1984, completely separate from big technology companies fighting over consumer dollars. But be that as it may, they were ready with this particular piece of marketing. This is what they always wanted to go out with. And it's just stupid. Technology is always a destructive force. It is one of those things where if you look at the history of even Sherman Act actions in the technologies field, it never has been terribly effective. If you think back to the actions with Inter Internet Explorer and how the Justice Department got involved with that and ultimately caused Microsoft to have to do various things with Internet Explorer that didn't matter because at that point in time, Mozilla had already come into being. Other possible competitors had already come into being, and that wasn't a function of the Department of Justice. It was a function of how consumers use technology. 
Now Epic Games is saying, well, Macintosh broke in back then, but now they're too big. And we don't want to try to break it with a competing technology. We don't want to offer our own phones. Instead, we want you, government, to go and break up Apple and to change the contract terms that we freely entered into with Apple, that Apple offered to us. We didn't have to agree to it. We didn't have to have Fortnite on their service that we agreed to and then immediately violated and now are filing a federal lawsuit for essentially they're taking off an app that violated the terms and conditions which we signed on the dotted line. So yes, as we go through this action, and we are going to skip a lot of the details here, I apologize for that. I just want to keep it svelte. I don't want to waste your time with an hour, hour and a half of going through every line of this lawsuit. If you take nothing else away from this, I do think that this is a problem. I do think that Epic's theory of the case is a problem. We're going to talk about why that is. But ultimately, Every single person, if you take their market small enough, is a monopoly provider of the market that they provide, right? Who is the monopoly provider of virtual legality videos on YouTube? It's me. Who is the monopoly provider of Best Buy space in their retail outlets? It's Best Buy. If you go and you take the market small enough, if you say Apple is a monopolist of iOS distribution, then you've made the market so small as to be pointless to even try to evaluate. Every new technology is going to have a certain amount of control over that technology's use. That is, in fact, how we have built copyright and patent and technology rights and intellectual property. If you think about monopolies on a kind of philosophical basis, what is this thing called copyright that we have talked about so much in virtual legality? The owner of copyright under this title has the exclusive rights to do this stuff with that property. They are a monopolist provider of this creative work that they have created, as is Apple, for the hardware and software that they have created. So when we look at something like this, we have to evaluate on those merits. And so, yes, at the end of the day, if you want to just skip ahead or you just want to turn this video off because we're going to go through a lawsuit now, I'm going to come out on the side of Apple. And yeah, they're a bigger company than Epic. I don't really like any of these folks fighting. You heard in the previous video that I did today that I think Apple was putting some pretty pretextual reasons for why they want to do what they want to do. But overall, they have the right to control what it is that they want to sell. And there is a value in a walled garden. I don't have to like it. I don't have to even choose to purchase that walled garden. But we should be supportive of different business models because it's that diversity of business models that gives the best competitive balance for our economy. And if you break in and say walled gardens are simply not allowed, then the consumer has lost something. The consumer that wants to have a curated experience, that wants to believe that somebody in the back room somewhere is deciding how this thing should look and is having these conversations on their behalf, they lose that. They lose the right to have that because if this kind of action were to go forward, not only would Apple and the iOS ecosystem be busted up, but Nintendo couldn't control what was on its eShop. PlayStation couldn't control what's on the PlayStation Store. Xbox couldn't control what's on its stop. And maybe most importantly, from Microsoft's point of view, perhaps they couldn't control what was on their Game Pass or xCloud or anything else. So if you find yourself in virtual legality from a video game standpoint, and I suspect that you probably do, you should be very aware of what's happening in this case. Because if Epic's theory of the case were to hold, regardless of whether Epic would want to pursue it, against Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft, they wouldn't need to. If Epic were to win on this theory, then anybody else could use the quote-unquote Epic precedent to go and try to break up Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft. And there is really no difference between what those companies are doing and have been doing for a very long time with their console ecosystem and what is happening with iPhones. So that's the background here. And we're going to skip a lot of this. We're going to skip through a whole bunch of this. The, the background here is basically that Apple takes 30% of fees for the sales of a piece of content on their store. Epic tries to play a little sleight of hand here and essentially double count this. They say that the oppressive 30% is a 30% tax on the sale of every app. And then they also charge 30% for in-app purchases, a full 10 times lower than more 10 times more than processing fees. And of course, in-app purchases aren't just processing fees. In-app purchases are just like apps. They are the storefront. They are being charged by Apple for essentially being available to their audience, that it's been curated and approved and all the review process has occurred. The Nintendo seal of quality, if you will, and you don't have to believe that that's worth a damn. You can think that Apple does a very piss poor job of it. That doesn't matter. Apple still thinks that there's value to some people. And I will tell you just from my personal interactions that there is that value to some people. Some people just trust Apple to say, okay, they've gone through the stuff in the store and they know that the in-app purchases aren't scams. And 
regardless of how you or I might feel about that in broad strokes, Apple has the right to go and pursue that competitive model. And Epic is kind of hiding the ball a little bit by suggesting that the in-app purchase fee is just processing when in fact it's a combined fee just like the rest of the 30% deals. And Apple just says, if you sell something on our store and a dollar goes through it, you get 70 cents and we get 30. Now they call this anti-competitive. The anti-competitive consequences of this conduct, this 30% amount, are pervasive. Mobile computing devices and the apps that run on those devices have become an integral part of people's daily lives as a primary source for news, a place for entertainment, a tool for business, a means to connect with friends and family, and more. For many consumers, mobile devices are their primary computers to stay connected to the digital world as they may not even own a personal computer. When these devices are unfairly restricted and extortionately taxed, By Apple, the consumers who rely on these mobile devices to stay connected in the digital age are directly harmed, at which point opposing counsel might say, extortionately, you say. Can we please take a look at what other platforms and other storefronts are charging? Microsoft charges 30%, Google Play charges 30%, Steam charges 30%. Is Apple extortionately priced? Because you've got a problem. You're trying to say that they're using a monopolistic power over their market to take unfair gains, except their gains are the same as everybody else's, Epic. And you agreed to them anyway. Epic brings this suit to end Apple's unfair and anti-competitive actions that Apple undertakes to unlawfully maintain its monopoly in two distinct multi-billion dollar markets. Pay attention. The iOS app distribution market and the iOS in-app payment processing market, each as defined below. The claim here is that Apple is a monopolist in Apple app distribution just like the small markets that we talked about before. And yes, Hoag Law is a monopolist in the market of distributing virtual legality episodes. You can't get them anywhere else. And if somebody else is showing them to you, you tell me in the comments because I want to talk to that person. Hoag Law distributes virtual legality episodes. He's a monopolist provider of that. Epic says Apple is a monopolistic provider of iOS apps and iOS app payment processing. Okay, so that's the baseline thing that's happening here. You got a lot of references to numbers, 30% tax, a lot more kind of decrying how exorbitant and how bad it is and how really Epic would like to get more money than just the 70 cents. They would prefer to get 80, 90, a lot more money than just the 70 cents. And they'd really like the court's help in making sure that they can get that money. And if you note, exactly what we talked about from this morning was the setup. It was the trap. It's why Admiral Akbar is on your screen right now. On the morning of August 13th, 2020, for the first time, Apple mobile device users were offered competitive choice. Epic added a direct payment option to Fortnite, giving players the option to continue making purchases using Apple's payment processor or to use Epic's direct payment system. Fortnite users on iOS for the first time had a competitive alternative to Apple's payment solution, which in turn enabled Epic to pass along its cost savings by offering its users a 20% reduction in in in-app prices as shown below. Now, Epic is going to have to answer for the fact that they are still charging 10% for nothing. And so that'll come up in the Apple cross complaint. You can bet that it will. But outside of that, you already see them rhetorically stealing more bases, right? Apple mobile device users were offered competitive choice for the first time. Did someone hold a gun to your head and require you to buy an Apple phone? Did they? I don't think that they did. You could have bought an Android, could have bought something else entirely. And that was always your choice. And it was always Apple's choice to say, hey, if you buy this phone, it's a walled garden. In fact, that's what we are selling. If you go back to their marketing pitch, part of what they were selling was curation, was a controlled environment with some kind of quality control. And you can feel that they're not doing a good job of that, but that was at least the marketing conceit. That was what they were going to be doing from a competitive standpoint. So you had that competitive choice. We'll see Epic try to answer that later in this lawsuit, but you had that choice. And now Epic says you don't because now you have your iPhone and you couldn't have known that you would only be able to buy through the Apple App Store. Rather than tolerate this healthy competition from Epic, this isn't healthy competition, by the way. This is no, nobody in their right mind would click on this button over this button. So Epic is trying to undercut Apple entirely. It's not a contractual relationship at all. And if you believe that Apple has any right to get any money from the fact that they are controlling the space and hopefully doing quality control, making sure things work on the phone and kicking out things that don't. If you believe Apple has any right to any funds for that purpose, this is a non-starter. 
This can't be how this is approached because Apple just gets screwed. And so Epic knows that. Epic knows that Apple was likely to do this in response. Epic knew that Apple was going to do that. And they knew it enough that they had a lawsuit. This wasn't written today, folks. Ready to go. This also means that Fortnite players who download their app from the App Store will not receive updates to Fortnite through the App Store either automatically or by searching the App Store for the update. Apple's removal of Fortnite is yet another example of Apple flexing its enormous power in order to impose unreasonable restraints and unlawfully maintain its 100% monopoly over their in-app purchases contract. Accordingly, Epic seeks injunctive relief in court to end Apple's unreasonable and unlawful practices. Apple's conduct has caused and continues to cause Epic financial harm, but as noted above, Epic is not bringing this case to recover these damages. No, no, judge. Epic is not seeking any monetary damages at all. Instead, Epic seeks to end Apple's dominance over key technology markets, open up the space for progress and ingenuity, and ensure that Apple mobile devices are open to the same competition as Apple's personal computers. As such, Epic respectfully requests this court to enjoin Apple from continuing to impose its anti-competitive restrictions on the iOS ecosystem and ensure 2020 is not like 1984. Now, amusingly, people have come to my comments from my earlier video today, but Epic runs a platform, a, a window, a storefront on the PC in which they curate what is available on their store and they take 12% for that function. Now, there's a disagreement as to whether 30% or 12% is justified. Epic's trying to undercut the entirety of the market, but the rest of the market is in fact set at 30%. So when Epic comes in and says, well, judge, these guys are monopolists because nobody can get in there. Epic has its own problem. And this is going to come up in the counterclaim, which is that they run a store that's curated, that not everybody can be a part of, that takes a flat percentage because that's the contractual number that the other party agrees to. And that's how contracts work. And that there isn't a monopolist pressure here, as you can see, because Epic has started to make inroads in various ways. And if Epic wants to sell a phone and have a competing iOS or competing operating system, I apologize, they are more than welcome to do so. And in fact, we see that kind of disruptive behavior in the tech markets all the time. Now you get a description of the parties. Hey, Epic makes Fortnite. You kids know that Fortnite game. Jurisdiction is California. California is a great place to sue for antitrust violations because California has some of the most robust anti-competitive statutes in the world, uh, really. So you see a lot of these suits brought there and they will try to, along with bring their federal claims, they'll try to bring some California claims as well. Epic does not seek monetary damages. They're just doing this to help other people, use their Fortnite money to really just help other developers. I mean, Epic doesn't even need the money. We're just trying to help everybody else, Judge. Relevant facts. Apple monopolizes the distribution market. To understand how Apple maintains a complete monopoly over the market, it will be helpful to provide a background on smart mobile devices. Apple designs, markets, and sells these mobile computing devices, including smartphones, which it brands as iPhones, and tablets, which it brands as iPads. Similar to laptop and desktop personal computers, mobile devices such as smartphones and tablets require an operating system, or OS, that enables multi-purpose computing functionality. Just as personal computers are sold to users with an OS pre-installed, smartphones and tablets are sold to users with that mobile OS pre-installed. The vast majority of OEMs, that's equipment manufacturers, do not develop or own a proprietary mobile OS and must instead license a mobile OS for installation on their devices. The overwhelming majority of mobile devices sold by these OEMs use the Android OS, which is licensed by Google. In contrast, Apple uses a proprietary operating system called iOS, which it installs on the iPhone and which it also spent a significant amount of money to develop and continue to develop to make work on the iPhone. All iPhones and iPads are shipped with iOS pre-installed. Apple does not license or install any other mobile OS onto the iPhone or iPad, nor does it license iOS to any other OEM for installation on devices other than Apple's. Some might call that a brand differentiator. They've developed this operating system. People like it. And so they put it on their phones in order to sell those phones. Thus, for mobile device users, there are effectively only two mobile operating systems to choose from, Google's Android OS or Apple's iOS. As of July 2020, these two operating systems accounted for nearly 100% of the worldwide mobile OS. First problem that you can probably point out already is that that is two operating systems, not one, and we're going to be using the Sherman Axe monopoly power provisions to try to bring Apple down. Monopoly, of course, referring to one provider of the resource that already has an issue because technology comes and goes so quickly, but is not the sole provider even of phone OSs in general. Mobile device users, including iOS device users, desire and use a number of apps in connection with their devices. Judge, they play games on these things. 
When the iPhone was first launched in 2007, it supported only Apple's native design apps and did not offer users access to any apps developed by third parties. Apple quickly changed its policy as just one year later, Apple released its new iPhone 3G model that opened up the iOS ecosystem to permit third-party developers to create new and innovative applications for iOS users. Since opening up its platform and up to today, the vast majority of apps are developed and programmed by third-party developers. Although Apple and Google, who control iOS and Android OS respectively, also develop and distribute apps of their own. To reach iOS app consumers and to make their investment in developing iOS apps profitable, app developers need to be able to distribute their iOS apps to users. These software programs are then updated, apps are OS specific, the iOS user base is enormous. There are nearly a billion iPhone users worldwide and over 1.5 billion active iOS devices, including both phones and iPads. Typically, these users only use iOS devices and will not use mobile devices with a different OS, as is the consumer's right to choose, of course. iOS users are therefore a must-have market for app developers to compete in. That's an interesting one and certainly not legally useful. You want to get into that environment, then by all means do so, but must have is a different kind of question. When Apple sells its iPhones and iPads, it chooses which apps to pre-install prior to the sale of the device to consumers, which Apple limits to its own apps. However, Apple can neither anticipate nor deliver the complete universe of apps that any particular iOS device purchaser may desire to use. All things that we know, right? In terms of app distribution, one channel for distributing apps is an app store. App stores allow consumers to easily browse, search for, access reviews on, purchase, download, and install mobile apps using just the mobile device and an internet connection. Non-OIOS app stores are not part of the iOS app distribution market because app stores are OS-specific. They distribute only those apps compatible with the mobile OS on which the app store is used. And they continue on to talk about Fortnite. And then they say Apple's monopoly power. Apple has a monopoly in the iOS app distribution market. This is because the App Store is the sole means by which apps may be distributed to consumers in that market. Exactly the same way as consoles work, exactly the same way as a storefront works. You are the only provider of this thing through this store. iOS apps are only available through the iOS app store. It's not really rocket science, but if you make the market small enough, you can, of course, claim a monopoly. And we're going to look at our friends at the Federal Trade Commission as we get a little bit further on here. Apple's anti-competitive conduct forecloses all potential competitors from entering the iOS app distribution market. Yes, they control how their hardware operates. Apple prevents iOS users from downloading app stores or apps directly from websites, pre-installs its app store on every iOS device it sells, disables iOS users' ability to remove the app store from their devices, and conditions all app developers' access to iOS on the developer's agreement to distribute their apps solely through the App Store and not to distribute third-party app stores, right? That's a part of the contractual condition. Certainly, Epic Games is familiar with terms of service, terms of use. We have gone over them in the past. We have done videos about how Epic maybe hides the ball a little bit with how they use your data and exactly what happens in the terms of service that they have for their own games and their own store. They know how these contracts work, and they would sure as heck enforce it against you if you were to breach it as brazenly as Epic has chosen to do against Apple. Now, maybe you could bring a suit and say that Epic is an unlawful anti competitive sole monopolist provider of Epic Game Store access, but I think you'd be laughed out of court, and I would hope that Epic would be laughed out of court on this as well. But when you've got titans fighting with very expensive lawyers, those very expensive lawyers have every reason to bill hours, and it's very unlikely that this gets kicked out very fast at all. Apple faces no constraints on its power in the iOS app distribution market. Non-iOS app distribution platforms do not constrain Apple's monopoly power in the iOS app distribution market because they are not compatible with iOS devices. That's wrong, right? You can go and buy a different phone. The fact that that OS doesn't work on your phone doesn't change the overall market of cell phones, of tablets. You can go get a Microsoft tablet. You can go get a Google tablet. You can go get something else that does something else. And you would expect that those hardware pieces would run the operating systems associated with their technology companies. Nor can app developers constrain Apple's anti-competitive conduct in the iOS app distribution market by declining to develop apps for iOS. Really? If a developer does not develop apps for iOS, the developer must forego all of the over 1 billion or so iOS users. No developer alone has sufficient power to overcome the network effects and switching costs associated with iOS to entice enough iOS users to leave iOS. Now that's remarkable, right? that Epic Games of all entities would bring this particular argument when they launched a game store 
that was specifically designed to break the network effects of a competing game store on the, P on the PC. That Epic knows how that is done, knows that developers have the power to do these kinds of things, knows that market actors can break up these kinds of companies with the destructive creation of the technology field. Epic knows that. That's been Epic's modus operandi for more than a year now. And they go to this judge and say, it's impossible, judge. We couldn't forego that base. We have to go after that base. And Apple just says, hey, it's 30%, which so does Google and so does Sony and so does Nintendo and so does Microsoft. But Apple's 30% is a lot worse, judge. Lastly, as described in part three below, competition in the sale of mobile devices does not constrain Apple's power in the iOS app distribution market because iOS device users face substantial switching costs and lock into the iOS ecosystem. Look, judge, you know, they love their Apple phones. So they're just too good and it's too sticky and they like those phones. They don't like Androids and they don't like other OSs. So we're just stuck with it because they like the phones. It's a heck of an argument to make in federal court. Apple's anti-competitive conduct in the iOS app distribution market. So they say there's technical restrictions. There's contractual restrictions like not being able to completely undercut what funds they should get out of the entire process. They go over a lot of details here. I highly recommend checking it out if you're interested in all these details. Ultimately, they come out with all that contract stuff is pretext and Apple is lying, judge. Apple has asserted that blocking third-party app distribution platforms is necessary to enforce privacy and security safeguards. This is a pretext that Apple has used to foreclose all competition. A simple comparison to how Apple handles third-party software on its Mac illustrates how baseless its justifications are. Again, personal computers are entirely different market than personal cell phones or even tablets. And to kind of just say, hey, well, Apple treats this other product differently doesn't really say anything at all. Epic treats its games differently. Epic treats its software differently. Epic treats Unreal differently than Fortnite, differently than the Epic Game Store. It's not unusual for companies to treat their product lines differently because they have different concerns. Now, I personally think Apple's better argument is that they want to curate. They want to offer some amount of quality control. They don't like that open system. People are fearful of the Android ecosystem for good reason when some of those stories come out. Not that they're necessarily any better on the Apple side of things, but that Apple has a right to go and pursue that competitive model if they saw fit. And let's not beat around the bush here. If Epic were to win this fight, well, gardens can't exist. Walled gardens are essentially a banned business model because Epic says everybody has to be open for everything. Not only will that limit business models right now, it'll limit business models in the future, which will also limit the ability of new companies to spring up with new business models because this precedent will exist and ultimately will harm the consumer. One of the things that Sherman Act and antitrust is all about is protecting the consumer. So when you see something like this from Epic, they have to start making claims that what Apple is doing is harming the consumer specifically. And they have a tough case to make because these consumers are buying into this ecosystem of their own free will. As you saw from Apple's statement, it's correct. Epic entered their contract freely. The people that bought an iPhone entered into their contract freely and they knew what they were gonna get to some extent. There are a variety of mechanisms available to ensure security. They again harp on security. It is definitely not Apple's only argument and it's a bit of a straw man. Maybe they think it's their easiest straw man so that's what they put forth in this claim but it's not the only argument that Apple can bring and that weakens everything from then on in this epic complaint. Then you have anti-competitive effects. Essentially, it takes up 30% of the dollars. We'd like to be able to sell more. There was an email that they once said that had said, hey, 30% is going to prohibit certain developers from doing certain things in this ecosystem, which undoubtedly it would as any specific cost would as well. But the argument that they are making doesn't really hold water because 30% is 30%. So even though you can get an email that says, yes, which we acknowledge is prohibitive for many things, doesn't mean they don't have the right to do it and it doesn't make it anti-competitive. Apple monopolizes the iOS in-app payment processing market. It's almost the exact same set of arguments. So we're going to skip ahead because we want to get to the claims. We really don't want this video to be an hour. Thank you for hanging on with me for so long. We have more to talk about in particular with the claims that they are going to make. They get into various percentages here. They get into percentages about what the market is. Competition in the sale of mobile devices can't affect competition is again still in my opinion a loser for them but it's what they have to try to establish because if the judge comes out and says hey you know 64 percent of americans own an apple product uh the average american household owns 2.6 apple products but the market is still significantly bigger than that judge it's not just that they have a monopoly on apple products themselves within their own ecosystem is basically what they have to prove right 
In the first quarter of 2020, 50% of premium smartphones sold globally were iPhones. 57%. Apple's nearest competitor sold only 19%. Okay, but 57% is not generally thought of as monopoly power. Some judges will. And that's why if you're sitting in front of me in my offices at Hogue Law, I will tell you, I can't tell you what a judge will say, but I can say that monopoly power is usually more than 57%. And certainly in order to have a monopoly claim against someone, they have to be using that power in an anti-competitive way. And the fact that Apple's market is exactly the same as everybody else's presents a significant stumbling block to making that particular claim. So when we start to get into the Sherman Act stuff, and we're just going to scroll down to it so we can get to the counts is when the rubber hits the road. So they've got all this background. 30% is too high. People are too sticky. They like their phones too much. You should break this thing open, judge. You should enjoin them from having these contractual provisions. Allow us to do whatever we want. They should have to keep our stuff in their store, regardless of whether they get paid or not by the customers. That's what's fair, judge. And here is why. Apple's conduct violates section two of the Sherman Act which prohibits the monopolization of any part of the trade or commerce among the several states or with foreign nations. The iOS app distribution market is a valid antitrust market. Full stop, right? Just by fiat. That's just a declaration. And it's a legal one. They don't establish any precedent. They don't talk about why this particular definition of the market would be a valid antitrust market. And that is the key to their entire claim. This one sentence, paragraph 186, skips the entirety of what will be the legal fight on this particular case. You can expect Apple's counterclaim to have 16 pages on paragraph 186. And instead, all they say is, yeah, it's, it's a valid market. And in order to understand why that's so important, we have to dive into the Sherman Act as promised, right? So when we go and we look at the Sherman Act, we look at section one here, let's look at section two first. Every person who shall monopolize or attempt to monopolize or combine or conspire with any other person or persons to monopolize any part of the trade or commerce among the several states is guilty of a whole bunch of stuff. This is what you violate if you monopolize the Sherman Act, written in 1890. And I'll say this, I've I've talked about a lot of laws here in virtual legality, but the Sherman Act, I think even every law professor that you would ask about this, is one of the worst written laws in American history right? Every person who shall monopolize some portion of trade is basically every contract that you could ever enter into. That if you sign a contract uh, for a credit card, then they have a monopoly on that particular line of credit. If you enter into terms of use with a Ubisoft game that you purchased and they agree to give you a license to that game and you agree to not do certain things, you've been restrained from doing certain things in accordance with that license, just like we were talking about with respect to copyright. If you enter into an employment agreement that says, while you're working here, you can't work for our direct competitor across the street, totally normal in an employment context, that's a restraint on trade in its broadest sense. And so one of the things that was immediately done when this act was passed is the court said, okay, guys, Congress, you didn't mean any of that. We know you didn't mean any of that. Or as the Federal Trade Commission says in some of their outline materials, the Sherman Act outlaws every contract combination or conspiracy and restraint of trade and any monopolization, attempted monopolization or conspiracy or combination to monopolize. Long ago, really long ago, the Supreme Court decided that the Sherman Act does not prohibit every restraint of trade, only those that are unreasonable, right? They rewrote this law. And if you are familiar with virtual legality, if this isn't your first rodeo with me, you know I don't like this. I don't like courts stepping in and saying, well, Congress must have meant this. I like the court to say, well, we'll have to enforce it as written and then Congress can revise the law because otherwise you are left with these kinds of scenarios where anybody that's not a lawyer reads this and says, oh my God, everything's a monopoly. Did you just say every restraint of trade is illegal? How can I enter into any contract? How is any contract not a restraint of trade in some respect? And the court, of course, knows that. And the court says, all right, we'll rewrite it for you, Congress. And I don't like that approach, but that's what was done with respect to antitrust actions. So it's only unreasonable monopolization, only unreasonable restraint of trade. As the Federal Trade Commission says, for instance, in some sense, an agreement between two individuals to form a partnership restrains trade, but may not do so unreasonably and thus may be lawful under the antitrust laws, almost certainly is. On the other hand, certain acts are considered so harmful to competition that they are almost always illegal. These include plain arrangements among competing individuals or businesses to fix prices, divide markets, or rig bids. So if Epic had made a claim with Apple and Google Play and Xbox and Nintendo and said, you guys got together in a smoky room and agreed that 30% was what you would charge, even though the market would probably only support 10 or 12 or 15%, and you in that smoky room decided to fix those prices, then yes, that's a Sherman Act complaint. But Apple has 30% and everybody else does too. Ooh, we're starting to have some issues, Epic. 
In terms of single firm conduct, which is what we're talking about here, Apple doing something on its own, it's not joined with others. Sherman Act cases are more difficult. Section two of the Sherman Act makes it unlawful for a company to monopolize or attempt to monopolize trade or commerce. As that law has been interpreted, it is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly, to charge high prices, or to try to achieve a monopoly position by what might be viewed by some as particularly aggressive methods. The law is violated only if the company tries to maintain or acquire a monopoly through unreasonable methods. So you have to prove that it's unreasonable. That's what Epic tried to do in 45 pages that we skimmed through a little bit. It has to be unreasonable and there can't be a justification for it. You can't have a reason why what you are doing makes sense. And monopolization in and of itself is entirely dependent on what market you set. As a first step, courts ask if the firm has monopoly power in any market. This requires in-depth study of the products sold by the leading firm and any alternative products consumers may turn to if the firm attempted to raise prices. Then courts ask if that leading position was gained or maintained through improper conduct. That is something other than merely having a better product, superior management, or historic accident. Any of those reasons is a justification to just come along and operate with the power that you have otherwise been given. And historic accident might well be what the iPhone is. It came out at a time which just made sense. They have this big market position. They have a billion people and they are charging the same price as everybody else. Courts do not require a literal monopoly before applying rules for single firm conduct, right? It doesn't have to be hundred percent. And so when we look and we see that iPhones are 57% of sales, it doesn't foreclose the ability for Epic to make the claim that they are a monopoly power, but it makes it more difficult. Monopoly is a term used as shorthand for a firm with significant and durable market power. That is the long-term ability to raise price or exclude competitors. That is how that term is used here. A monopolist is a firm with significant and durable market power. Courts do look at the firm's market share, but typically do not find monopoly power if the firm or a group of firms acting in concert, which is not the case here, has less than 50% of the sales of a particular product or service within a certain geographical area. Some courts have required much higher percentages. In addition, that leading position must be sustainable over time. If competing forces or the entry of new firms could discipline the conduct of the leading firm, courts are unlikely to find the firm has lasting market power. Finally, obtaining a monopoly by superior products, innovation, or business acumen is fully legal. If you're good at business, the Sherman Act doesn't come and say, stop being so good at business. And essentially, the Apple iPhone market exists entirely because Apple decided one day to create iPhones, sold them as walled gardens, continued that sales pitch, and developers for the entirety of its history have agreed to the contractual terms that Apple has set forth to the benefit of really everyone. Apple, consumers who are clearly happy with the product as evidenced by Epic's own background paragraphs, and the developers that have made a fortune selling through that process. Apple's getting 30%, but those developers are getting 70% of every dollar that those developers make. So the Sherman Act is not an easy case to bring. It is a messy one. It has wording in the laws itself that is far too broad that the courts have interpreted differently. And so you have to be an antitrust lawyer to actually even go in and pull out all the precedents that might apply here. But the end goal for Epic has to be to establish not that we're talking about phones or tablets, but that we're talking specifically about the Apple iOS market, because that's the only thing that they are even close to establishing that Apple has a monopoly power in. And it presents a logical problem because there is nothing on earth that the single firm doesn't have a monopoly in more so than its own services and its own products. Virtual legality is a monopoly product of Hogue Law. Anything that you can think of is a monopoly product of the company that makes it. And that's going to be the ultimate problem with this. And even more so, the fact that Apple isn't charging exorbitant prices. There's no indication that the market would set a different price just because Epic Games came in with a bunch of Fortnite money to subsidize a lot of losses or loss leaders and said, really, the number is 12%. Because honestly, what we would like it to be is 12%. And now their entire plan for the past two years starts to become a little bit more in focus. So they go and they say the iOS app distribution market is an antitrust market. They're monopolizing it. Apple unlawfully maintains the power over that market. Its conduct affects a substantial volume of commerce 
Apple's conduct has substantial anti-competitive effects, including increased prices and costs. That's going to be a heck of a thing to prove when every other market participant has the same costs. Reduced innovation and quality of service and lowered output. Again, facts, not in evidence. You can go through all of that. I know I skimmed through a bunch of those. You might say, Rick, you didn't get to everything in every paragraph. They don't prove those points. They assert them. That's perfectly fine for a claim, but they're going to have issues in making any of these points stick. This is a leverage play for Epic against Apple to try to get them to negotiate down because regardless of whether they win this case, this would be a very expensive case to defend for Apple on the order of millions and millions and millions of dollars and certainly a lot of public press about the issue in the first place. As an app distributor and as an app developer, Epic has been harmed by Apple's anti-competitive conduct in a manner that the antitrust laws were intended to prevent. Epic has suffered and continues to suffer harm and irreparable injury, and such harm and injury will not abate until an injunction ending Apple's anti-competitive conduct issues. Now understand the Sherman Act is not so concerned with making sure that the competitor is okay. Competitors are always going to be angry at the market leader because the market leader is doing something better than them, is making more money, is controlling an ecosystem like Apple. The Sherman Act, the antitrust acts in general, philosophically are about consumer protection. So they, at the end of the day, have to prove that consumers are harmed by this. And consumers spending all sorts of money in various ecosystems, including on the consoles at the very same price points, are trouble for them. And that's exactly why they dropped the prices on those consoles at the same time that they dropped them for the Apple ecosystem. Now, it'll be very interesting if there's a diligence process, if there's a discovery period, to find out whether Epic got any kind of concession from those console folks on the discounts that they just put forth on Fortnite. Because if they didn't, and Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo are still taking their 30% cut, then Epic is essentially just the Wizard of Oz, performing illusions to try to make it look like Apple is doing exorbitant things and making consumers hurt. But that is not, in fact, what they are doing. Epic is just willing to take a loss lead on the sales on the console in order to make Apple and Google Play look bad. Now, we don't know what is going on on that side of the, th- uh, of the question, but that very well could be the case. Sherman Act 2 follows from the same kind of thought process. Uh, it is the same kind of thing. It's the same provision. They have the same issue with respect to the app distribution market. Sherman Act 1, unreasonable restraints of trade, very similar kind of concept. Apple forces developers to agree to Apple's unlawful terms. No indication of why they're unlawful exactly. They think they're outside of market. They're monopolist prices. But then essentially everybody's a monopolist in their own ecosystem and everybody decided on the same percentage. Epic has all sorts of logic problems with this particular complaint. The challenged provisions of the developer agreement in the terms of Apple's App Store review guidelines unreasonably restrain competition in the iOS app distribution market restrains trade, does all these bad things, we suffer, will continue to suffer harm. Then we bring those complaints about in-app processing, which is the exact same kind of concept just with in-app purchases, same language, same kind of consideration. All of these counts do the same thing. And then you get down to adding California stuff. And California has certain rules, like I said, that are more uh, significant more hardcore than even the federal rules. And so you bring the claim in California, you say, hey, there's a combination of anti-competitive conduct. When a single firm coerces other market participants to involuntarily adhere to the anti-competitive scheme, says Apple is forcing developers to help this along, again, with guns to their head, with offering a great product with a big user base. Epic just wants to make this money, folks. They do. And, And that's more power to them. But that doesn't make their legal claim any better. You then have unreasonable restraints of trade, California style, and of course, uh, more on the in-app processing issue. And I think this is probably about it. I think you also have an unfair competition law, right? So we've talked about this with respect to California claims in the past. This is the blanket umbrella law that says, basically, if you violated anything else in California law and you're operating a business, then that was unfair competition because your competitors didn't also break that law. They were following the rules. And so you unfairly and unjustly were enriched by your breaking of our laws. So they toss on some California stuff, but it all lives and dies in the same place. It all lives and dies on judge. Can you actually bring a Sherman Act monopoly complaint against a provider of an ecosystem for being the monopolist provider of access to that ecosystem? And if you can, what is the logical stopping point there? What stops you from getting to Xbox and Sony and Nintendo and the Epic Game Store? 
Or what stops you from getting to Epic being the monopoly provider of the Unreal Engine? How are they allowed to enter into contractual terms with other people when we don't know what those terms would be if everyone else were allowed to just purchase and sell licenses to the Unreal Engine? You have a lot of issues with this type of claim, and Epic knows it. They're trying to make waves. They're trying to make this a marketing piece. That's why they went live with a video. That's why they baited Apple this morning, and it's why they aren't asking for damages right now. They're trying to be as clean-handed as possible. Wherefore, plaintiff Epic respectfully requests that the court enter judgment in favor of Epic and against defendant Apple, issuing an injunction prohibiting Apple's anti-competitive conduct and mandating that Apple take all necessary steps to cease unlawful conduct and to restore competition within the iOS ecosystem, awarding a declaration that the contractual and policy restraints complained of herein are unlawful and unenforceable, awarding any other equitable relief necessary to help all of this, and granting such other and further relief as the court deems just and proper. We're not asking for money, Judge. We just want things to be fair. And of course, not for the Epic Game Store, not for the provision of the contractual relationships that we have, but only because we think it's unfair that Apple is just so popular that so many people like it, even if it's 57% of sales, so many people want an Apple iPhone that we just have to agree to 30% and agree to 30% on Xbox and Sony and Nintendo. So hopefully, even though this is coming up on a little bit close to an hour, this was a useful deep dive as to what is happening today. Overall, this has been a crazy day for video games from Epic apparently baiting Apple to pull Fortnite off the store with a button that says, don't ever pay Apple any money ever, violating their provisions absolutely directly and intentionally, and then forcing Apple to kick Fortnite off the store before they brought a lawsuit on their own. Hopefully this has been that kind of educational video for you. We like to talk about these things. There is no doubt in my mind that we will be talking about this issue now and well into the future. We might even start a playlist with only two videos because this, this is going to be a big deal for a long time to come. This has been Virtual Legality again for today. I hope you enjoyed this. Please like, subscribe, share, tell folks about this video. I will try to put timestamps in here to help folks understand where they can click to to get better information about what's happening here. There is very likely to be a lot of rough journalism on this. This isn't the game journalist's fault. This is way outside their wheelhouse, and I'm perfectly happy to give quotes to anybody that needs them. Please feel free to contact me at rhog at hoaglaw. But outside of that, give them a break. This is difficult stuff. Direct them over here. Tell them to watch this video. I'll answer any questions that they have. I think this is an important conversation to have. This is fantastically existentially important if Epic were to win this kind of claim to everything that we know and love about console video gaming in particular. And otherwise, subscribe, ring bells, do all the rest of the stuff that I know you love to do. I love to have these conversations with you in the comments to my video. I will link everything that we've talked about in this video in the description. And thank you very much for checking out Virtual Legality. If you did check it out on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. Heck of a day. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.